Thank you, Bill Jesse. Take your Bibles tonight, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 2. I think we've been in this chapter over the Christmas season more than any other. But we'll be looking at the latter part of the chapter rather than the former. And it is good to see you on a Wednesday night in between the two holidays. And uh, I thought we might be a little skinnier this evening, but have a great attendance. Did we have a, a great Christmas uh, Sunday this last week? I thought the Sunday morning service, I don't know if we set a new record here in the auditorium, but there was a lot of people in here on Sunday morning. And then um, I still, just the, the stringed instruments on the platform Sunday night was absolutely beautiful. And uh, I want to just thank all those who are involved in that again. That was a really special service. That night has always been uh, very special and unique here at Eastland, but I thought all the stringed instruments just were a, a great touch, something very different here. And appreciate all those who made the effort to do that. Thank you for helping us build a great family memory. Well, in the reading, of course, over Christmas time, look at the Christmas story. Um, there are some passages that I think are were meant to be included in the reading, but we often uh, don't go there. You know, in preaching, um, you know, from the place I stand, you know, I want the things that I say to be instructive, and I want them to be um, encouraging. But not all preaching is necessarily encouraging. Some of it's more like exhortation, and some of it just needs to be said, and uh, there's not always sort of an easy way uh, to say it. Tonight, I uh, have more of a thought than perhaps a sermon, and, but it's just, I think it's a thought that we need to consider. I don't have a lot of pastoral impulses. Um, by that, I mean, I just tend to do what the Lord leads me to be in a book, and I, I preach that. I have shied heavily away from topical for that reason. I, I'm just not comfortable there. But I, I, I do think this, and maybe this is what's coloring my thought as I read the Christmas story this time, is I, I have some concern about, you know, the coming year and what could be in store for America. I, I, I don't know there's anything there. I'm typically the anti of any conspiracy, anti of all the drama and rhetoric. But I, I do think there's wisdom sometimes in realizing that we probably can't just continue to cruise through life and the way we've lived Christianity for a long time, I think there is going to come a day when things are going to change. And I, you know, not saying that could be anytime soon, but I, I think that day is coming. And that has colored maybe my thoughts a little bit uh, tonight. So if you would, go ahead and stand with me, and we'll read a few verses together. We'll begin our reading in verse number 21. And this is perhaps days, it could be longer than that, after the birth of Christ. We have a specific timeline here a little bit. Um, so the chronology here is not as important to me as the thought. So look at me in verse number 21 of that second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And the Bible says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, um, his name was called Jesus, Yeshua meaning Savior, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy. And of course that word means separate or separated to the Lord. Verse 24, And to offer a sacrifice according to that which was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death 
before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And we've talked a little bit about the light uh, there in verse 32 a number of times. Verse 33, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And how could you not? Hearing some complete stranger having some revelation from God about their son and the marvelous things that they said, what? That just make you full of the right kind of pride and, and wonder and amazement and awe. In verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And of course now the tone has changed. And yea, speaking to Mary, a sword shall pierce through thy soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So I want to talk about this for a few moments, a sword that pierces. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, Father, I thank you for the health that we've had uh, this day, and Lord, just to be here tonight. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that as we look into your word, that Lord, we would find and discover there the insights that you intended. And Lord, where we can and should make application and appropriation, Lord, I pray you'd help us to do that. But tonight, really, I, my hope is just to set a mindset. Lord, a kind of reasonable expectation of, Lord, of maybe things that could come. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. I always appreciate that courtesy and respect. As I reflected one more time on Christmas and, of course, the birth of Christ, we've talked about its miracle, its necessity. Uh, we've talked about its redemptive role in fulfilling the purposes of God, His purposes through Christ on our behalf. Now, another thought here is disclosed to us tonight in Luke's account of the birth of Christ. And that thought is really about Christ's destiny and our decision related to the purposes of Christ. The Bible tells us that in the course of time after Christ's birth in Bethlehem, that his parents began their journey back and towards Jerusalem. Now, they, of course, were devout Jews themselves. And both Mary and Joseph took their child to the temple in accordance to the laws that are spoken here in the New Testament that were written in the Old Testament. And they were basically going to the temple, the way we might understand this would be to dedicate uh, Jesus, to formally name him at this time, and present him to the Lord. The word holy there in our text has the idea of being separated. Um, I, I, there's, I have numbers of books in my library. Um, this one is just a book. But because of what's written herein, and because of my reverence for it, this is a different book. It, it's, of course, different in that it is the Word of God. It's inspired by Him. But even more than that, this is just a book that I might treat differently than I would treat other books. Um, I, I have a different, it's set aside for a different purpose. And I have things like that in my life, and you would too. 
set things aside. In the temple there were dedicated things. And the things that were dedicated there or set aside were holy unto the Lord. And they were really reserved for that only. They would have cups. And those weren't cups for daily drinking. No, those are cups they used just in the service of the Lord. And that's sort of the idea here a little bit is that uh, the, the parents, these Jewish parents who had children, they saw their children and they wanted to be holy to the Lord. They dedicated them. You know, here we have uh, baby dedications. And, of course, the child has no clue what's going on here. And we do this more for the parents' sake than the child's. But the intent of that is um, that there's no, nothing mystical in the dedication, but rather it's a time where you walk up here and like, okay, I, I, this child belongs to God. And I'm going to dedicate myself to the task of raising him in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that's a little bit of what the idea is happening here. The Hebrew children were given over to or set aside or dedicated to God. The idea being that a child was God's gift to them. It was something that God gave them. Um, it was a reward. It was a blessing from him. And though the parents would love the child, sacrifice the child, steward that child's life, uh, they or he, like all of us, that child belonged to, to God. And above all things, Jewish parents wanted their children to grow up and to serve Yahweh. And I think in a way we would share that similar uh, thought. We would want to our, for our children to grow up and to know Christ as Savior. And then in, in, in the ways that God would direct them to serve Him with their lives. And so this is what was happening. They were, they were doing this kind of dedication service. And as they were arriving at the temple, though, some things began to happen. There they were met by a man named Simeon, who had been providentially directed by the Holy Spirit to meet them there. I, I don't know where he met them, exact location, um, but I know this. The text says that God directed uh, this family of Jesus to meet this man named Simeon. Simeon had to be an incredible man uh, based on what the text reveals about him. I don't know if he had title or recognition. He very likely could have been a priest in the Lord's service. He, uh, he could have just been a, an older gentleman who loved the Lord dearly. Um, but whoever he was, whether known by man or not, he certainly captured the attention of God uh, for his life. The text says that God's estimation of him was that he was just and devout. The word just would be something we might understand as righteous. Here, here's a man who gave his life to live it in light of the Lord's reality, that he would stand before him one day. He strove to be righteous in a way that a man should be righteous. And he was devout. He loved God. He, he had a heart for God. Um, he was a man who wanted to walk with the Lord. He just didn't want to know him theologically. He, he just didn't want to have an idea of God. But he, he knew God. He walked with the Lord. He was a man who had lived his life with the recognition and the reality that he would stand before God one day. And he believed that serving him was the noblest thing that he could do with his life. But Simeon didn't just love the Lord. Simeon also loved the Lord's people. He loved his nation. He loved God's people. And he longed for Israel's consolation. The word consolation means primarily comfort. Um, but the idea here encompasses more than that. Simeon would have been a man well uh, Verse, he would understand what the Roman occupation did to the psyche, to the limitations of, of their national freedoms. They were under Roman bondage at this time. 
Um, they were not really free to be the nation that they would want to have been. And so the consolation would have been Israel's return to the glory that they once knew. It would have been for a time when they lived in peace. A, a time, of course, when the Messiah would come and, and, and lead them in these things. And he longed for the day where things would be right in Israel. And he knew that that would not come minus the Messiah's presentation to mankind. He, he desired this. Simeon no doubt, had a knowledge of Israel's history. Both Judah and Israel, had, had they had fell into captivity because of sin and rebellion. And he knew of God's work in the providence to bring the Jews back uh, to the areas of Jerusalem through the efforts of Nehemiah, Zechariah, Ezra, and others. He knew the Scriptures. Uh, this man, Simeon, knew that God would send an Emmanuel, God with us. You know, there were people who understood the idea of Messiah, but th th they probably missed the great reality that this was God becoming man. And they probably specifically missed the fact that he had come to be a spiritual savior and a would-be in time political savior, social savior. Simeon understood these things in a way that his contemporaries did not. I, I think he understood that the Christ would be not just a savior of Israel, but as this text says, also a light and a savior to the Gentiles. And because he saw this, he stood apart. And uh, this knowledge and insight, devotion, understanding, you know, set him apart as well in God's uh, mind. He, he, was, he was unique. His greatest hope and prayer was that before he died, that God would allow him to look upon Israel's king and savior. And, you know, I, I think a lot of us could maybe relate to that. Something we want to see in our lifetime. Wouldn't it be great in our lifetime if Jesus came back? I mean, that would just be the most, uh, forgive the current vernacular, epic thing in the world, you know. That would just be so wonderful. I think we uh, long for that. And I think as things and times get more unique and difficult, um, estranged from the ways of God, we long for that in a greater way. And Simeon had this incredible desire of heart um, he wanted this particular unique favor from God that he could see, you know, the Lord's Christ. And um, God told him by the Holy Ghost that that would happen. That he would not see death before he saw with his own physical eyes the arrival of the Messiah. Well, on this day when his parents had brought him into the temple to dedicate him and to formally name him as the angel had instructed him to, the name Jesus, the Savior, Simeon had already recognized him as such. He knew who Jesus was, that he was the Savior. And in a very special moment, I'm supposing Mary sensing a divine trust in this older man who was reaching for her child um, and some divine purpose in it surrendered, you know, her child into his arms. And in verse 28, you know, we read what happens next. You know, he, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God. He's thanking the Lord for allowing him this unique privilege and miracle. And then look with me in verse 29. We'll just scan here very quickly. And then he says, And the Lord now let us, thou servant, depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared for the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, which is probably somewhat a, a singular insight, although the Old Testament said that. Not many of the Jews understood this. And a glory for the people of Israel. This man was in many ways one of the very first humans to recognize a Savior 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. The shepherds had been told by the angels, but this man knew it by the Holy Ghost. You know, the same way we recognize who Jesus is, is by the Holy Ghost working in his heart. And his paraphrase is, I, I can now die in peace. And Lord, you kept your promise to me, and, and, and I, I'm ready to go home. My eyes have seen your provision for the salvation of all the world. I've seen Jesus. Now, you know, here's just kind of if. If the story and encountered with Simeon had ended there, that would be a really neat story, wouldn't it? I mean, here's, you go to the temple, there's this older guy. He's obviously dignified. He's got a countenance about him. The Holy Spirit's upon him. He sees your child, and, and somehow you sense that there's something special about this man, what he has to say. He takes your child, and he blesses him for God, and, and, and he talks about the wondrous gift that your child is to humanity. That as the angels have said, this is Emmanuel, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah. And as it's said maybe over in, earlier in, in the verse of, uh, chapters of Luke, where it says, Mary pondered all this in her heart. How could you not ponder that? If the story would stop there, I, you know, it would be beautiful and miraculous. Um, but it doesn't stop there. The man has more to say. And it's just not his thoughts, these are... These are obviously words inspired by God that are recorded in our Bible. Simeon didn't stop. His next words tempered the wonder uh, in Mary's heart, probably specifically. And yes, he said that Jesus, the Savior King, would be Israel's Messiah. But here's the thought. And this is really all the thought for tonight. You know, not a great sermon, but here's the thought. So I want you to get it. That Jesus would not accomplish his mission or purposes minus or absent of sorrow and pain. And that's part of the Christmas story. That that's not all there is to the coming of Christ. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's wonderful. But God's purposes in this child will not be accomplished minus sorrow and pain, without grief and suffering. And that would be true in his life and in other people's lives too. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them, and he says unto Mary, Jesus' mother. Now, these words are, are, you know, theological. He says, the behold, this child is set. The word set there means um, destined. Like, there's this specific destiny that this child has to fulfill. This child is destined. This child is appointed. He's come for a specific purpose from God. And in that purpose, many will fall and many will rise based on what he is set to do and be and become for them. And Mary, he will be a sign. But the idea is like he will be this miraculous sign from God that will be spoken against. Not everyone will recognize it in the wonder that you do right now. The, the angel's declaration of his glory will recede in time from your ears, and you're going to hear other things said to this and about this man. He, he is set. He has a destiny, and humankind will rise and fall upon their relationship to this man. Now, that's sobering. He'll be a sign. This, this authenticating sign of God will be spoken against. Jesus Christ will be the divine crux 
of humanity. It will be the Rubicon of humankind. And whether they cross it to their rising or reject it upon their falling will fall upon his shoulders. He will be the watershed of humanity. Those who deny him will fall and those who will accept him will rise. And of course, we understand that to mean salvation today. Those who would accept Jesus Christ will be saved and, and those who reject him, you know, would be um, damned into an eternal hell minus him. That is a sober thought. Humanity's fate will rest in humankind's relationship to this man. He will be a miracle that many will speak against, will reject, even despise. And for others, they will be lifted into eternal life with him because of faith in him. Take your Bibles very quickly and turn to Matthew chapter 10. We, I want you to see a text there in 10, uh, chapter 10 and we'll look at verse 32 here in a moment. And we, we had this thought this, this year, and we talked about the peace of God. And we, we studied this sort of theological thought is that Jesus is our peace. That the idea that the angels presented was, was not sort of this ubiquitous, hey, I want there to be peace on earth and I want you guys to get along. No, it's that, the, that God was coming to the world to reconcile us to God. He was coming to be our peace. He was, the, he was going to be the propitiation for our sins. He was going to be our substitute. That was the peace. That was the kindness, the favor, the benevolence, the, 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 the goodwill that God was extending to us is His grace. And that this idea that this, sort of this kind of Christmas notion is that, boy, this is a great time for peace and goodwill. That's appropriate when peace is worked out of our hearts. But God came to bring peace for those who would have it. But Jesus Christ himself, well, he says it this way. Look with me, if you would, in verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me, this is the rising and falling we talked about before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And here's the thought we talked about a couple weeks ago. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. Jesus Christ is set for something different than that currently. I came not to send peace, but a sword. What does a sword do? Well, it divides. It separates. It's a watershed instrument. There's this side and that side. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Mother and a man's foe shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He said this way one more time. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that lose his life for my sake shall find it. This is the thing that Simeon is talking about. Jesus Christ is going to be a watershed in people's lives. It'll be a defining moment in our lives. Either we will accept him and rise, or we will reject him and fall. But there's more to it than that. Is that there will be some difficulty in this process. Sometimes my choice to serve Christ, with all the blessings that come from that, all the salvation, the security, the peace of mind and heart, all the blessings, what we enjoy as a church, hey, there are other things attached to it too. And not all of them pretty and beautiful. There is, we can be a sign that are, is spoken against. 
Our decisions to serve Christ can bring opposition in a world that runs contrary to the flow and direction of my life and your life. There, there can be this pain in being a Christian. And I think that's what Simeon is talking about and Jesus himself has said. And, and Simeon even makes it personal here. Now, I just think for a moment, moms and grandmas, you know, you got a baby. In paraphrase, your son was born to achieve and fulfill God's plan of redemption. Yes, he will be Israel's king, but not before the fall and rising of many and not without rejection and pain first. And Mary, you will suffer hearing what is said and done to your son. Quote, and a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. In the angel's announcement, they rejoiced that Emmanuel had come. God's love and grace had appeared. You know, the, this incredible work of the Holy Ghost. Mary was filled with wonder. But this lady was a mom and she was a Jew. Her heart had to be overfilled with joy at this announcement. And in chapter 2, verse 19 of Luke, it says that she pondered. How, again, that would be a lot to think about. I'm carrying the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of Israel. Think where your thoughts would lead and run with that. Her understanding was probably at this point that she was blessed among all women. But now she's learning something. And, and, and this, again, is the thought. She's now learning that with privilege and purpose comes pain and sacrifice. Are you with me on this? Don't you see the connection? Yeah, she's blessed among all women, but man, her heart's going to be hurt. This is the, the great duality sometimes of life. And I'm not asking you to raise your hand or affirm this, but how many of you love somebody? How many of you love someone, right? And the answer is all of us love somebody. Or we have loved someone. Isn't love a great emotion? Isn't it a wonderful blessing to have loved? Yes. But with love comes hurt, doesn't it? And I mean in every circumstance. You know, under the most favorable of circumstances, I live a good long life, and I, but I die one day. I would like to think that Terry might mourn a little bit. Short time. And then my kids, you know, that the love they had for me for all those years might like, that hurts right now. And then my grandkids would think, man, that's hard. See, that's the way life is. It didn't, for now, it doesn't get to all be the, just the good. It's not that that's any evil. It's just in the great blessing that is love, there's another side to it that can bring pain in, in, in a lot of different applications. In Mary's learning, hey, with privilege comes pain. With responsibility comes duty and sacrifice. And she was made to understand that one day her heart would be pierced, you know, in a great way. I, this may not be very inspiring to you tonight, but I think it would do us well to ponder that. You know, Eastland's a pretty cool place. It's happy. We enjoy a lot of great things here. We come in here and... I think we have unique and special fellowship. I'm sure a lot of churches do. You probably have a lot to celebrate in your life. 
And I, I think we may have lived through a very unique and special time in history um, where being a Christian maybe hasn't cost us a lot. You with me? Now, I'm not sure that's the way it's supposed to be. And I certainly don't think all of our materialism and affluence has helped us. I don't think it's made us better people. But I guess here's the point. It is not the object of our lives to navigate life minus pain. But a lot of us live it that way. Okay? I'll turn preacher here just for a second. You with me? Okay? In other words, you can't just come to church and get all the blessings. Being a member here and a participant is going to cost you something. At least it should. Now, this is an associated principle, but everyone ought to give to that which they participate in. So, you know, we can talk about that financially, but we can also talk about that in volunteering to be part of the nursery or the ministries here. You know, there's just this, sort of this principle here that, yeah, there are a lot of blessings in what we do, but there might be a little bit of blood, sweat, and tears attached to it as well. There may be some times when, when serving God isn't always convenient. You may not always want to follow Brother Daniel's admonition and grab a track because, listen, the response I get in doing that isn't always positive. And no, it's not. But does that diminish our responsibility to do it? It does not. I mean, that is a minimal cross to bear. I'm just, but now think about, we, we think we want to die for Christ, but we might struggle to pass out a, a track for Christ. I mean, I'm just trying to, I, you guys have the thought that, you know, there's a lot of, Christmas is wonderful, but that's not where the message stops. We ought to ponder a little more deeply what it really authentically means to be a Christian and the responsibilities and maybe even the sword that might come our way if we too are set for the defense of the gospel. If we take a stand if there, we had some more watershed moments in our life where it's, yeah, this is right, this is wrong. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what, I'm, what I don't want to do. This one's hard. This one's easy. This incarnate Jesus was God himself given for us. Accepting him is a choice that in one moment makes us either rise or fall. We're either saved or we're not. And for those that choose Jesus, yes, we get salvation. Yes, we get manifold blessing. Yes, we have this incredible enabling power of the grace of God within us. We have the, the privilege to love and to serve. We also have a purpose and a calling to follow in his footsteps. As Jesus himself intimated, there may be people in your own family who don't understand this. The world has forsaken because you have opinions about creation and the order of humankind that is lost to this world right now. Hey, it is not going to get any easier to believe those things going forward. It will only get harder. And we may experience swords in a different way if you and I genuinely make a decision to follow Christ. We're not going to always be universally appreciated and applauded for this decision to follow him. Being right, doing right in a broken, wrong-headed world that's going in a different direction than the Bible points us 
is going to be increasingly uncomfortable. Okay, look at me. And the solution this world's need, that this world needs in our country, is not going to be found in a politician. It's going to be found in us. And there will be a cost associated with us doing what politicians and economists and other people cannot do. We are the salt. We are the light. We are the difference maker. It's what we call upon his name that God may choose to spare this country. Not in any political candidate. Now that's a sober thought for Christmas, isn't it? So you're welcome. Well, why do you feel the need to you know, broadcast that in our happy Christmas time? Because I think passages like this are often overlooked. They're easily marginalized. You know, the truth is Jesus was born in adversity. We have talked about that. He lived in adversity and he died in it. This mother was told and the future disciples would be told to be cost in serving their Savior. That fealty would be difficult. You know, Jesus said, we need to count the cost. That's what I guess I'm asking us to ponder tonight. We have enjoyed an incredible time of blessing. Will we be equally uh, united? Can we stand strong and happy and joyful and have all the blessings we have if suddenly a sword is presented to us in a different way? What if that's in our future? What's the, what if that's in the forecast? See, I just think this. I think pondering that for a moment can steal our hearts to be more prepared for those kind of moments. Since I'm deep diving into, you know, maybe not popular, you know what happened right after Jesus was born? There's something else that happened. Jesus was born, the sky is filled with this myriad of angels. It's a spectacular, beautiful, wonderful, you know, miraculous, divine moment. And soon after, Roman soldiers come from the children of Bethlehem. And the skies that heard the praises of God soon heard the weeping of Rachel. I don't know how many children that was. It doesn't make any difference, I suppose. It could have been few, it could have been many, but the point was, soon after the birth of Christ and all the joy, we see that sometimes this companion of grace is sometimes weeping in difficulty. And it didn't take very long to have an example of that. In the Emmanuel narrative, we are taught that difficult and trial are the unavoidable attendants of grace. Choosing Jesus means we have chosen forgiveness. We have chosen joy. We have chosen peace. We have chosen purpose. And it also means that we should be willing to embrace opposition and difficulty if and when it comes. That goes with the bargain as well. You know, I, I had the privilege of being for a coach for a lot of years. And I coached football, track, and wrestling. And I, back in the day, I loved what coaching did. Because coaching 
taught kids that when they come together under a unified purpose, they could accomplish something they never could on their own. I loved it because to play for the glory of a Friday night, you have to go through the arduous sweat and difficulty of a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon. <laughs> you don't get a Friday night victory minus the, the difficulty of the grind through the week. And so if you're going to play football, well, that comes with it. I mean, it'd be, it'd be great. Hey, just come and play football. We'll just go play games on Friday night and it'll be fun. Now, if you want the glory, if you're going to be part of the team, if you're going to be one of us, there's a price to be paid. And, and, and I think some of us being lost in athletics today. I, I wish not. But there's just this idea we understand that being Christians isn't always easy. We don't get a special immunity from hardship and pain. We just have a reason to navigate through it. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9, if you would. Luke chapter 9. I'll, I'm going to wrap this up. I don't have one, two, three points, so it'll be easy to wrap up. Luke chapter 9, let's begin our reading in verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Okay, stop. What's the point he's making? It's not about his economic social condition. Is that fair? He wasn't declaring homelessness. He's saying the path I've chosen is hard. And if you want to follow me, it'll be hard for you too. That is not what we hear in contemporary Christianity today. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me to first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell which are at home in my house. And now we could, we could talk about how this sounds insensitive to our ears. The point being primarily is that there's a cost associated, a, a new purpose granted to those who choose to follow Christ. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What's the whole point? Cost. In another text, you don't start building without first comprehending what it's going to take to finish. Or else a whole lot of people are going to fall out by the wayside. I, I won't have you turn there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, you know the text of the Apostle Paul, He's just talking about these incredible perplexities and difficulties he's going through. But then he says, you know what, this is my life. There's this measure of hardship in it. But at the same time, I'm not defeated. I'm not overcome. I, I'm not going to quit. I'm not in despair. He goes on to say it this way, you know, in 2 Corinthians 12, when I am weak, then is he strong. The reason I had this thorn in the flesh is so that the manifold grace of God might be manifest in me. He said that we bear this, this grace and glory in vessels of clay so that God may be magnified in and through us. Nor does he says, you know, I'll, I'll ease all your suffering and pain. I, should, I won't remove it from you, although I think he does often. I think choosing to live right keeps us from a thousand ills. But we still live in a, a fallen sinful world. And the point being this is that we're not going to escape all the pain. And one day, especially young people, young couples, this faith of yours may cost you something. 
It may not be easy as it is right now. I don't think it's going to be. I think, my opinion means very little, that times are going to change. My thought. I think a lack of mental preparation can lead to a failure in action uh, in the future. Finishing and navigating difficulty, I think, is a place that we need to understand is where we can grow and Christ can be magnified in us. It's a place where a witness can be seen in a brighter way. In difficulty, our relationship with Christ becomes more real and genuine. Our faith is tested. I think if and when Rachel's weeping comes, we need to be strong enough to go through it. We need today to develop a strength for tomorrow. That's one reason Hebrew says, let's not forsake ourselves in the assembling of ourselves together. And in, in the context really there, because as my coming draws near, things are not going to get better. So like some simple decisions we need to make like today is no matter what comes down the pike, we're going to be in church. No matter whatever cost is associated with serving Christ, we're going to do it. We lose every benefit for giving, so what? If serving Christ and showing up for church becomes a difficulty, I'm going to be there. Okay, you say, why do I say it like that? Because we've already been put through a little bit of a test. Are you with me? And a lot of decisions were made. And I cast no judgment on them. But I, if you're thinking all the opposition we're going to face is going to be super overt and obvious, you may be misguided. I think Satan's more cunning than that. It may come and it will come. So do you understand what I'm asking you? It may not always be obvious why we should or shouldn't come to church and easy. I'm just saying you're supposed to. We're supposed to serve Christ no matter what happens, no matter if it's easy or hard, difficult, whatever. There's, um, we need to be committed people today. Mary pondered it. You should ponder it. But a sword should not keep us from serving the Lord. Okay? All right. Let me ask you to stand. All right, let me ask you to bow your heads just for a few moments tonight, if you would. <clears throat> I was just going to play for a few moments, and I, I just want you to spend a few quiet moments tonight. And I'm not, I, not my intention to be discouraging or overly sober. This is just a talk. It's a, it's, it's a thought. Being Christian, young people, isn't always easy. It's not always popular. It's not cool. Moms and dads of little ones, sometimes you may have to make some hard choices about raising your kids, their education, the way you and husband and wife are serving the Lord. There's just commitments we need to make about serving God now. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for all the Word of God, for all of its admonitions and encouragements. Lord, serving you 
has been the honor and joy of my life. And Lord, it's also brought tears and difficulty. And Lord, I think that serves all of us to make us stronger and wiser, more empathetic. And Lord, I just pray this as we start looking towards a new year, Lord, a page turning. I, I just pray we'd all begin with the resolve to serve you no matter what, to be committed to you no matter what may come. And, and Lord, if you, your coming tarries, Lord, I, I just pray that we wouldn't ever fail to be watching, to be ready. And so, Lord, I, I just ask that you would help us understand serving you is something we do all the time in good times and in bad, in times of blessing and times of difficulty. And, Lord, that mind which was in you, I pray, would be found in us as well in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, thank you tonight for your attention and, of course, uh, consideration of the thoughts.